What's up, dude? Can you hear me? Yeah, man. Yep. Can, you hear, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Good. I got, man, it's super easy for me to hook this microphone up uh, oh, yeah. for my audio. But, man, these Zoom recordings, honestly, um, I'm pretty happy with them so far. Okay. Okay. Let me get my shit situated here. Hey, dude, did you make that headboard? Yeah, I made that headboard. Nice. Did you, uh, yeah, I made that headboard. I've made a couple other things. I forgot to send you pictures the other day. Hang on. Dude, I actually like this doing podcasts like out of the norm, you know, like I like having the studio table, but uh, like Nate, when he did the podcast, he was on his long board. Oh yeah, I saw I that. Did, I just shared it and people were like losing it about him being up. But man, this is kind of cool for me to, hey, I drink that same kind of kombucha, gingerade. Gingerade. It's tasty. It's tasty. It, uh it definitely says on the front probiotics the other ones i don't trust to have probiotics in them yeah which other ones of that same brand or yeah really man the one that um there's one that comes in the pack core and i get the box with mm -hmm. gingerberry and um i think it's called trilogy dude that oh, yeah. one's that one's wild i've not tried that one yet yeah i've tried the, I've tried the berry one and something else man during <clears throat> during aunt rona being in town i do my best to uh have some uh probiotics dude yeah i take a probiotic every morning man um there's just one i've been getting for a couple years now uh, i used it when i was getting over that autoimmune issue mm -hmm. and then i stopped but we we just i take it every morning now so really what is it oh i I forget. It has a crazy amount of cultures. It's a vegetable probiotic, vegetable based, and mm -hmm. I keep it in the fridge. It suggests that you refrigerate it. So, but Corey and I both take one. Um, I started getting it from the health food store here in town. And then I just started ordering it online because I think they went out of business. Oh, really? Yeah. Dude, I'm taking a mad amount of supplements right now. Yeah, I man, elderberry for us, but then really. Uh, yeah, flaxseed and fish oil, D, garlic. Um, what else am I taking? A super B complex. Um, seems like there's one other thing I'm taking, but well, vitamin C. I'm just drinking vitamin C every day. Okay. What are you taking? Let's see. I take fish oil, and then I take that. <clears throat> uh nmn actually i don't take nmn right now i'm taking nr what and is that I, uh that dr uh david sinclair that was on joe rogan's podcast the longevity oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i actually you told me about that and i looked into it mm -hmm. yeah so i'm taking that i'm taking uh resveratrol 
And then let's see, I'm taking a zinc because it's an immune booster, but it's also a testosterone supporter because this week I'll be 44, brother. Dang, bro. April 12th. Happy B. Right. What is it? The ninth right now? Yeah. Yeah. Three days. I'll be 44. Dude, that blows my mind. It didn't blow my mind when you turned 40. Well, you know, I, I act like I'm 24 years old, so it's fine. Yeah, you really, your your personality probably has gotten less older. Oh, yeah, dude. Does that, does absolutely. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to live that best life, man. Nature, I'm trying to do everything in nature. Nature's been uh, real therapeutic, I guess you could say. Yeah, I'm going to go out again. Um this weekend, probably going to tr- go fishing again with my dad. Uh, We're doing the same thing on Saturday. Yeah, Another I'm trying to plan. Like, I did a whole lot of work today because um, it sh- with what I'm f- going to record today and upload for my classes I'm teaching online and what I'm going to do tomorrow morning, I should mm-hmm. be able to just, like, have the next several days free if I want to go canoeing, which I do. Actually, I'm going to get myself a kayak, and then Cora and I will both have one, but Man, we could go hit. I want to just go hit the lake over here. Just paddle around yeah. the lake uh, yeah. by the house, and then we're gonna hit Horsehead and Spadra. Mm-hmm. And um, I would also like to. Um, and the Buffalo's closed. Man, I'm so jealous that you hit Ponca the other day, dude. I, I, we it, the water was right, the temperature was right, dude. We hit Ponca, and it was great. <clears throat> that one, that one section they call. Um, what do they call that? Hell's Alley or whatever that is, right there at the end, close to close to the end of going into Kyle's Landing. You know, yeah, yeah, those, yeah. has those f- sometimes three foot, sometimes four foot rollback waves. I've got GoPro video of it. I'll have to send it to you, oh, man. Nice. I the, the whole the whole front of my boat just water just went over it as I went into it. It was pretty cool. Have you um, thought about starting like, or, or do you guys have a YouTube channel for your adventures? No, Allie and I had talked about it just because so many people reach out to us about things that we do and see. I mean, I mean, Dude, that one video that you're that you're talking about could be the first video you put on there. That's true. That's true. And you know, we hiked, we hiked and climbed Sky Pond in Colorado last year, which is a big deal. You know, talking about eleven thousand feet. And hey, I was ju- I was just reading about Zebulon Pike. Where's that at? Uh, Pike, it's the guy that uh, named Pikes Peak, or that Pikes Peak is named after, right? Didn't you guys go to Pikes Peak, but didn't? No, we did. We went Garden of the Gods. We didn't go to Pikes Peak. Okay, okay. But I mean, we saw. You, you know how you can see Pikes Peak from? Yes, Garden of the Gods. yes. Yeah, I went to cool. Garden of the Gods. It's been, man, that's probably been five years ago now. Yeah, I mean, I love it. It's overrated, but you're talking about a paved trail versus literally being out in nature in the Rocky Mountain National Park, which is crazy. Yeah. So uh, what are some things that you're going to do? What are some other outings um, that you're going to do? Uh, so this week, this weekend, we're going to do our best social distancing by getting on the private waterways of uh, Little Sugar River up here, which has great fishing. Dude, if, <clears throat> if you're ever into fishing, fishing out of the kayak and canoe, I need to, you and Corey need to come up here with us. You're talking like you're ripping 15 to 18 inch smallmouth out all the time. Not all the time, but you know, you're going to catch a bunch of tens and twelves and then all of a sudden you're going to hook a big one. And it's, it's fun. It's not like when we took you to the Kings, the fishing is okay. 
you know, but you're, there's less pressure on this and there, you don't see anybody and it's just as beautiful. And, and, uh, you know, it's not, you know, there's not any really any rapids to, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a fishing adventure. That's, that's what it is. But you're talking. I think horse head is going to be that way. Anytime I've ever floated horse head or really spad or either one, I've never seen anybody out there. Yep. Same. Um, So I don't know if we'll fish when we do either of those. We'll see what the water's like. Spadrick can get a little crazy, dude. Have you ever canoed or floated Spadrick? Never done Spadrick, man. Mm-mm. We're going to put in like right there at the one lane bridge out past on the other side of Ludwig by oh, yeah. Billway. We'll yeah. put in there and we'll float to like uh, the take out there at the interstate. You can. Okay. There's like right, right there, there behind Old Wendy's. Yep. Yep. Just down there a little bit from that. So, but that's one thing I want to do and I want to go. So that's Ludwig to almost to the spat, almost to the Arkansas river. And then I want to go Horsehead Creek to highway 64, which I thought was almost to the Arkansas river, but the way it winds, man, it's a, it's a lot of miles. Three miles or four. Oh yeah, it, if if my memory serves me correctly, it comes out there actually close to the Scranton Bridge. Oh, that's going to be ten miles. Yeah, yeah, it it winds a lot. It, I I thought it would just hook up there, right there with, with the levee. It, 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 yeah, so yeah. we're gonna do that. Then uh, let's see another. <clears throat> we were going to try to do, and we're still going to try to do it all 86 floatable miles of the Kings river this year, put in, in the upper section and uh, do float camp floats all the way to the end to the last takeout. Um, we did several of those set. We did 65 miles of that section last year. We just didn't do the last, um, you know, 12, 15 miles of it. You did it all in one sprint? No. First time we did 11 miles in one day. The second time we did 17 miles in a day. That 17-mile stretch, you know, you really got to – you really – the water's got to be flowing right. It's got to be – it's got to be moving because to do 17 miles in a day without just sitting there just paddling, 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 you know, is um, is kind of hard, especially when you're still trying to catch fish too and, you know, drink beer. all the the other fun stuff it's um i believe it's 12 from horsehead lake to where i'm one to the hartman bridge in the park there on 64 so that that was kind of the route i was wanting to take you're not gonna you're not gonna fish that very much anyway so once i get on my family's land i Mm -hmm. might and we might even take out there i don't know um but uh well, man, how, so how have you been managing your time uh, during all of this? Uh, the biggest thing is wake up in the morning. Allie and I go run. We try to put in a couple of miles every day. Um, and then after that, it's work on gym things, you know, uh, memberships and trying to communicate with as many people as I can. Uh, just checking on them, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about martial arts or anything like that. I just want to make sure that everybody out there is doing good. I had a good conversation today with one of my guys. He called me. Um, he's, uh, he's ready to step it up and take it to the next level. This little bit of break that we've had has really given him some perspective on <clears throat> what's important. But, you know, he used to be a college soccer player, still in great shape. He, uh, he just, you know, he's needing a little bit more 
competitive and uh, goal-oriented purpose instead of just showing up for class, you know. He's a jiu-jitsu guy? He's both. He's mainly a kickboxer. He just started – he just started gi. And he said he played uh, soccer? Yeah, I played college soccer. Ooh, nice. Pretty athletic. I bet he's got a good leg kick. He does actually have a pretty good leg kick. And he's not a super big guy. You know, he's probably 170. So, I mean, still very, very fit. Man, I saw this video <clears throat> yesterday of a guy uh, in Brazil that was – he was like uh, – like Riot Squad was out and he was getting arrested, basically. Uh-huh. But this guy, while he was, like, confronting this one person in front of him, came up behind him and, and just kicked his – like, kicked his legs together like super hard and foot swept him and it was one of the nastiest foots but it was a leg kick right you know you just said soccer i got to thinking of of like jose aldo's leg kicks and playing soccer. oh yeah man yeah, yeah. Do you remember that uriah faber fight oh yeah people under less estimate leg kicks until you've been kicked in the quad where you're not expecting it i mean you know it's going to happen but without a shin pad on it it feels devastating. I mean, it's, yeah. we're talking, I remember Maurice Smith, he said way back in the day, you know, he would rather fight MMA all day long than he would a kickboxing fight because it takes months to get over a hard kickboxing fight. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember you, you told me that years ago. Yeah. Um, and I believe- it's true because uh, the distribution of the damage could be much more distributed. Yeah. I mean, just it's much more spread out rather. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, we've been managing our time uh, that way, and then just you know, filming content, things like that. Uh, what have you? What have you been, man? I'm doing another jujitsu solo movements Zoom tonight. Like I've talked to Nate about this a little bit, but I've been having good participation on the kickboxing workouts and the shadow boxing. But um, we'll see on tonight. But haven't been having as good of turnout. But there have been. A couple of small groups, a couple of guys here and there going into the gym. Um, but it's just been, uh, you know, the jujitsu audience, um, it's been more difficult to engage with them. That's why I'm doing more things like this podcast and yeah. instructionals and stuff like that. I know you guys did that roundtable discussion with all the black belts. Mm-hmm. I thought about doing something like that with Cora. But have you been engaging with the jiu-jitsu folks? No, I've been engaging with them that way. I've been just texting them one-on-one. Hey, do you, is there anything that I can film or go over? I've got, a, I've got a couple of lists of things that I've talked to guys. Like, hey, they wanted to see this. They wanted to see that. Uh, answering some questions. But a big one that I was going to talk to you about was when I had that conversation with one of my guys earlier. You know, he's, he's always been very um, good on the fit side. But he's, you know, he's feeling a little uh, lethargic a little bit, having to work. You know, he's got one of these jobs that's now considered an essential job. And I mean, I mean, it's a big boy corporate job, but it's an essential business. And so he's working more hours than he has before. And he's feeling a little bit of atrophy, you know, and when he gets up out of a chair and he's like, oh, man, you know, because he's just not on the mats moving and stuff like that. <clears throat> so something that I'm thinking about putting out and starting to put together is uh, just some hit workouts that I do personally that oh, yeah. I feel like replicate jujitsu cardio because you and I both know you can't really replicate jujitsu cardio without just sitting there rolling, rolling, rolling or situational sparring or whatever you do, you know, 
there's a few things, hit workouts that you can do that will supplement, you know, to combat muscle fatigue, to comp, you know, to get that up and down heart rate, you know, during that five minute time, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, dude, put, put some of that out. I, the, the one thing I really love about all of this, um, is seeing all the content everybody's putting out. Mm -hmm. I know some people were always like, like Daniel O'Brien was always putting out badass content of like at home workouts and stuff like that, or, or just instructionals. And he still is, but now everybody that is in the game is putting out awesome stuff. And yeah. uh, it's nice to see. And uh, I think that that will be something that probably won't be scaled back in mass. Like people that were not doing it at all that are doing it now will probably keep doing it. That's my hope. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I think, uh, I think you and I talked a while back. There's been a precedent that's been set now that I don't think that we can come back from as far as content. You know, there's a, there's been a lot of standards that it's just like, oh, hey, now this this stuff is accessible to where before it was a little bit. I mean, you know, I mean, necessity is the mother of creation a lot of times. And this is, you know, this is something that's necessary as far as content and giving people things to do when they're isolated, because I don't feel like that this is going to be a one time 2020 is going to be the anomaly. I think that until the world gets a different perspective on what's happening as far as infectious diseases and things like that, I think there, this is going to be more common than we realize. Well, and I think I told you on the phone the other day that like, I have this friend who's a physicist. So she's, mm -hmm. she's a scientist by, by trade. And she thinks she worries that this is going to be a seasonal thing you know me and Allie my wife we were talking about that literally she's like I think I think that this may you know this time next year could happen again if this you know our economy can't take things like this you know as far as the world economy anyways um, too many of the what would you would consider non-essential jobs just being shut down and just putting on pause you can't uh, it, it uh, our system is not set up to be able to do that. So we're going to have to find a way to combat this. A little oh, exactly. Bit yeah. I mean, and that's one thing I've, you know, our businesses, uh, the gyms were amongst the first wave of businesses to be forced to close. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, I've been like today, I went and a couple of the high, a belt guys, you know, we rolled today. I got some bumps and bruises on my face and everything else. And, um, you know, so you're, we're still getting a little bit of stuff here and there, but you know, for the, for your, your mass students, you, they, they just don't have access to that. And you're just going to have to keep pouring out that content, keep, you know, coming up with creative ways where they feel like, uh, they're getting something out of being isolated right now. Yeah. One thing, and I'm doing this with the zoom podcast I'm doing, but, um, we're going to, we're going to be starting tonight recording all of the zoom workouts and classes we're doing with mm -hmm. youth and teens and stuff and put them on our YouTube. Yeah. And like, I mean, I thought about this, I hadn't talked to core about it, but it's like, is that a service that we're going to start doing where it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You missed class. Well, the video feeds over there. Yeah. You know, I mean, because 
we're capable, the abilities there to do it. Like uh, I actually paid for zoom at least until this blows over. And I mean, I may never go back from it because of the podcast, right. but paid for the cloud storage, which is super convenient because I don't have to, um, man, I'm always having to delete video off of my computers because of the podcast, the video files just accumulate quickly. Well, you know how you were talking about our adventure YouTube stuff. I actually have lots of GoPro video on this computer right here <clears throat> that I'm having to, I'm having to move it to an external hard drive just because yeah. I can't. I got, leave. Yeah. I got a couple of externals too, man. Um, and then a couple laptops, my phone has 256 gigs on it. Um, but what <laughs> I may, may do is get a server at the gym yeah. and put all of my stuff on it and then dump everything just to it's either that or pay for cloud but it's like i want to get a storage that's so big i don't have to worry about it and then also put my um our security footage on there from the gym i've got a big i've got a big external hard drive that i bought off amazon for like 50 bucks it's like two terabytes nice yeah you get a couple of those you're talking that's a lot of that's a lot of storage just right there and you're only into it for a hundred bucks. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do something like that when I get uh, situated uh, in the new studio, man. Have you, mm -hmm. did you see that video of the new studio? It's sweet. I'm excited. The floors are getting started. Uh, they're supposed to get started yesterday, but tomorrow. Yeah. Is there only one, one entry that one door right there? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a couple, I had these two bookcases that were my grandpa's, gun cabinets mm -hmm. i had them made into bookcases um they're gonna go in there my whiskey barrel table a lot of the stuff from in here but uh i'm excited man it's gonna be like dream come true status on what i'm doing with it yeah <clears throat> so you sent me a couple of questions one of them uh i was actually thinking about this the other day that uh it's so funny that you said it what got me into martial arts and me and you've had this conversation before and I can tell you straight up what got me into martial arts and that was movies. Was it period? You know, my parents worked all the time, you know, so I was left at home a lot of times to my own devices and you know, that was VHS tapes and you know, going to town on Friday nights. I don't know if you remember or not, but man, you remember the feeling going to the video store and just Dude, main video videos. Hey, sparks worked there, man. That's I know, where, dude. That's awesome. That's where I met him. You know, I, he would always recommend, he would always recommend like, oh, dude, did you see that? You know, like a B-flick martial art movie or whatever. And I'd go check it out and rent it, you know, for the weekend and come back. People Do you remember were, the one down, down the hill from the old Inferno that was the tanning place? Down the hill. Yeah. I think it was Joe's maybe. Mm -hmm. but uh we drove past that the uh, like just just like two days ago Corey and i yeah and I was it was like, our house at one point in time yeah yeah i was yeah. like that used to be a badass video store slash tan yeah. place and and main video you know main video was right there beside dairy queen for a long time you remember yeah and, um, that was really cool i don't know if you remember main video or not but <clears throat> Do you remember home video that was up on the hill, kind of like where Taco Bell is now? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Over there behind the bank. Well, main video and home video, the two cool things, when you would go in there, they had those little round tags that had like a number on it. And yeah. it hung on, a, hung on a nail that had the, v, that had the you know, the, the, the case sitting there of like 
you know, when I was a kid, it was like Top Gun or whatever, you know. And you'd run in there and you, ah, oh, you'd look for that tag and it'd be sitting there hanging. You grab it, you're like, yes, yes. It's like winning the lottery, dude. And, the disappointment uh, when it was gone. And the disappointment when it wasn't there. These, you know, kids nowadays, you know, teens and young adults nowadays, they don't, they don't get the thrill of understanding. If you're, if you're 22 years old and younger, you don't get the thrill of the hunt at the oh, video store, bro. Like I was thinking about this and I think it was the same thing for like GI Joe's, but it's like, I never went shopping really outside of Clarksville when I was a kid. Yeah. And now I'm collecting all of the 1990s Star Wars action figures uh -huh. about halfway there. But I was like, man, I never even had the option of buying this one when I was a kid. Like the Clarksville, Russellville, Walmarts never stocked it. Um, anytime I went to like the mall and Fort Smith or wherever, they didn't have it. So it was just like, it was like I never had the, the availability to get it just like you would have to wait but now there is no waiting i just buy no, whatever i want to watch whatever action figure i want everything's so instantaneous then that you just don't get the thrill of the hunt dude i can i know you were just like me but like gi joe's or whatever at walmart you would just sift through piles and you'd you'd sit there and fan through the back to you're like oh no snake eyes no cobra commander you know no destro oh man who wants flint i've got three flints this is crap you know just you know, and know, Transformers man. and anything well, else. It was like they only ordered a, a select few. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but I was just, I was thinking about that just earlier today and it was pissing me off. I was like, man, I could just get whatever. I, Grandma Tarkin couldn't get him yeah. when I was a kid. Can nope. get him now. No problem. No, yeah. Yeah. Good luck finding a, you know, good luck finding a Luke Skywalker when I was a kid, dude. That's, that was unheard of. You know, you'd have, you know, you'd come to school and there'd be somebody with a Luke Skywalker. You just like, man, where did you get a Luke Skywalker at? I want a Luke Skywalker. The the I'll tell you, one of the ones that was rare when I was a kid was the speeder bikes. Yeah, uh, from Endor. Yeah, from Return of the Jedi. Yeah. yeah. Dude, so did you see that inset shelf when uh, you first go in the new studio space? Yeah. That's where I'm going to display all my action figures, bro. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I don't have any Star Wars, one, Star Wars ones to donate, but I have some G.I. Joe ones. I have some original uh, 1980s first edition G.I. Joe. See, I have some. I remember we, we both ordered some uh, a few yeah, years ago. I found them on Amazon probably 10 years ago, and I was like, check this out. Snake Eyes couldn't get it. Back when I was a kid, got him now. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna collect, uh, recollect GI Joes as well. And that's what, dude. That's what's cool about being an adult and things being super available in the yeah. internet. It's just like, well, well, eBay. They're all over the place. Yeah, but unfortunately, you know, nobody, nobody will have to go through what we had to go through. I mean, just to, I can remember when a new Van Damme movie or something would come out, you would have to. You'd have to wait weeks and weeks and weeks just to be able to find it in. And my mom would get so frustrated at me, dude, because I would be like, Mom, take me to this video store. No, take me to this video store. You know, because the big tradition, and Allie and I were just talking about this the other day, like a big part of childhood was when you were, you know, junior high or before, you know, not high school, but junior high before, Friday night it was go to the video store and get five or six movies and, you know, watch them all weekend and, watch them two or three times and get, you know, you know, drive home with some pizza, pizza or. Oh yeah. You remember late fees, bro? Yeah. Late fees were another. <laughs> I, watched, 
I watched two dudes. I watched two dudes get into a fight in junior high over some late fees. Oh, like then, one was supposed to take something back and he did. One was supposed to take something back. He left at his house. Like, yeah, dude, I'll I'll take it back for you on Monday, dude. They went to battle there in the uh, there in the junior high locker room of the of the uh, basketball gym during PE. It was uh, it was a not. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't think one of them smiled smiled again right after that. And I thought, man, over some late fees. But apparently, it's one of those type of late fees. Like it was sixty five bucks, and that dude's parents got called. Yeah, dude. I mean, they could rack up fast. Yeah, uh, for could sure. Could have bought that movie ten times over, you know, for the late fees that they were having to pay. Oh yeah. Well, you know what's like the culture has shifted so much. It's surprising to me that there's still red boxes. True. Yeah. You know, Netflix uh, does a DVD service, which I had no idea that they still did, but they do. Yeah. Well, you know, like for a friend of mine who's been on the podcast, Michael Booty, um, he lives out north of Dover, out around like Mr. Dean, there by Longpool. Oh, yeah. And he can't stream video out there. It'll eat his internet up. Then he won't be able to use it for anything else. Yeah. It's in people. I think like, uh, like that's something uh, one of the teachers on my floor was like, all students have a phone and internet and I'm like, yeah, but they don't have a computer with a word processor and blackboards, uh, our learning management systems, um, content on the app. It's garbage. So we have this real, very real situation where people have internet on their phone, but they can't do They don't have access to a computer. Right. So it, it makes <laughs> turning assignments, all these other things, super difficult. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're spoiled, dude. We're sitting here video streaming right now. I mean. Yeah. But, um, yeah, to answer your question, it was probably uh, probably movies that got me into martial arts. How long, how long have you been training? Over, like, 20 years, right? Over 20 years. I did my first – I got my first real taste of what martial arts was on a professional level in 1994. So when and where was that? I took a, well, a good friend of mine, Sean got me into martial arts. He, he had already, you know, he was an adult. I was still in high school. He was driving, you know, anywhere he could to take private lessons. So he'd drive to Tulsa, Oklahoma city, places like that. And uh, that's where I met Mark McFan was in 94. I, I went to a seminar there at Terry Gibson's uh, Jeet Kune Do school and, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. That guy passed away, didn't he? Yeah, brain cancer. Sad. Dude was a specimen. I mean, just phenom martial artist, specimen physically, just a all around A plus plus guy. And he had he had fought brain cancer on and off for several years. They they tried some, you know, they had tried some um, different type of therapy. They went to Mexico City, all kinds of things. You know, just he never that that last bout that he had with it he uh he succumbed to it. you know i remember a famous story we were there taking a private lesson and <clears throat> he uh he had come back into the gym and apologized because he had went to the you know he had went to the bathroom and thrown up but he was talking about he had uh he had went out to the mailbox like the day before checked the mail and uh had a seizure and then like instead of letting his body succumb to the seizure, he sucked it up and crawled back into the gym and then finished having the seizure. Like that dude was a total badass man. 
<clears throat> just looked like something out of a, you know, I mean, he built like a Greek statue. He was, he was a great guy. But uh, I remember in 94, I went and took a seminar there and Mark McFan was there. And that was my first exposure to somebody that was teaching grappling on a professional level and, uh, you know, getting paid to teach and doing seminars and, you know, traveling around the world and, you know, getting influences because like, I think just the year before, maybe the year before that was when the first UFC came out, I think came out in 93, right? 92, 93. Ooh. UFC one, something like that. 93 ish. I believe it was 93 was UFC Mm -hmm. one. Yeah, so my first exposure was in '94. I was still in high school though, so I didn't, uh, I didn't start. You know, of course, we all rolled around in the backyard and everything else. I mean, when you're in Arkansas, especially during those times, there was nothing. You know, you'd have to drive. I, I didn't, I didn't know who Danny Dream was then. You know, I know he was. <clears throat> he, I think he was already a blue belt by the time '94, '95 rolled around or something. You know. And I may I may be completely wrong on that, but I didn't I didn't even know who he was until I met him at a grappling tournament like in '99 or something. And uh, but back then it was you know you, there wasn't Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It was you know it was submission wrestling, submission grappling. You know all of because the only influences that I had was what uh, Jikundo provided, and that was uh, you know their exposure that was you know, during the days of, uh, uh, let's see, who was some of the bigger grapplers um, way back then? You had uh, um, Josh Burnett's coach. Um, uh, Eric Paulson. Eric Paulson, yeah, he was a big one. Uh, I actually, I actually, he was at that same seminar in 94. Man, he is in like every Dan Inasano video from the mm-hmm. 90s. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's what I've been loving watching the Greg Nelson stuff, man. Is because yeah. of that. It, man, you really are the sole purpose that I am d- down in that rabbit hole still. Because man, I have so have done so much research uh, over Jeet Kune Do, and I don't know if I told you this, but Roland, the guy I'm trained with him tonight, yeah. the, the orthopedic surgeon, dude, he's trained with the Fongs. Um, yeah. Francis Fong and all those guys. Yeah. And um, what's the other one? Uh, Augusto. Mm-hmm. or or august i, I, I just know francis train with both of them so um but uh you know just from the wing chun influence i have two wing chun dummies now i don't know if you knew that you know i'm not i'm not trying to derail anything but you know there's a there's been some chatter here and there and people are posting about it on the internet about how bruce lee was just an actor and stuff like that and man i, I just want to say you guys are completely ignorant. You're either tr- doing that or you're trying to get a rise out of people because it's, uh, it's not true to any degree. Because if you go back and you start talking to the, some of the guys that trained with him, you know, uh, you know, like Guru Dan and Francis Fong and all those, that older generation that, that actually was around, they were like, yeah, yeah, no, uh, we couldn't do anything to him. Yeah, yeah. Well, particularly in the striking realm, and I'm not discrediting his grappling at all for the time. I'm sure it was probably um, ahead of of the curve, but for today's standards, it was probably it it, it probably would have been lacking in comparison to what jujitsu and grappling is right oh, now. Sure, absolutely. But, but it's the linkage of getting from there to here. Um, I, what do you think about this? Like, here's something that 
that is kind of irrefutable that's disturbing about uh, Bruce Lee's legacy is like he died taking drugs at some lady's house in Hollywood. It wasn't in Hollywood, I believe. I mean, just like the the situation surrounding his death is is kind of strange, you know. Well, that, and then, you know, Brandon Lee died, too. When, when Brandon Lee died, dude, I, I, I dropped to my knees sobbing because he was a hero of mine, you know. I was, uh, I, you know, everybody was looking to him to carry on the legacy of his dad. And But if you go back and listen to first, you know, to several interviews with Brandon before his death and stuff, you know, he talked about some of that stuff. Like, Brandon will be the first person to tell you he was an actor first and a martial artist second. To where his dad was martial artist first and actor second. Um, Do you buy into any of the conspiracy theories about Bruce Lee's death? Oh yeah, dude. Stranger shit has happened. Yeah. Like, uh, like which one? Like Yakuza shit, or um, like what? You think it's the the mob type situation? Oh, I mean, how? I can completely see that. You know, they wanted him to do one thing. They saw it as a window of opportunity for a powerful influence that they could control and maybe he didn't want to be controlled and ultimately it led to his death you know it's uh because you're talking about a guy that it's either one or two things yeah he took some drugs but did the drugs really kill, kill him or did he really have a brain aneurysm you know but yeah, there's something totally totally off the wall you know it's just but you know who knows the one thing that i can say though is Brandon Lee said this, but he is actually quoting somebody else when he said it is the key to immortality is living a life worth remembering. And Bruce Lee act, you know, Bruce Lee act, absolutely done that. Yeah. He, he, um, he accomplished that, you know, I try not to, you know, I, I, there for a, t- a time I was obsessed with, Oh, you know, you know, how did he die? How did he die? But then I was like, man, that's stupid. I need to be focusing on how he lived because the one thing that Bruce did to where no other martial artist before him was he bridged the gap between what was useful and what wasn't. And he really had an open-minded concept when it comes to martial arts. And that's why people are like, oh, he was, you know, he was just this, he was an actor, he was on the phone. Well, man, the one thing that he did do, he was one of the main reasons why we get to do what we want to do is like, if we want to do some Western boxing and then kickboxing, jujitsu, he made all that cool and acceptable. Yeah, the, the the bridging it all together too, man. That was the he was the bridge. Nobody else before him was able to do that. You can have, you know, you can talk about Judo Jean LaBelle and all these other guys, and they they did that too to some degree. But nobody had the influence to do it like Bruce did. And Bruce was the first person to be like, no, this is total crap. Let's let's change this. Let's do that. Let's add this. Let's take this away. And if you know, if one of the Gracies would have showed up in 1971 when Bruce was still alive and, you know, trying to evolve martial arts and they walked in there and they choked him unconscious, you know, the first person he'd be standing in line to learn from was those guys. He wasn't, you know, yeah. it was, um, that's the one thing I got to appreciate about Cause you, you, I think one of the Gracies actually said at one point in time, you know, um, the U the UFC the concept of the UFC happened because of, you know, a Bruce Lee movie. Yeah. And look how full circle it's come, dude. 
Yeah, exactly. They're about to have fights on a private island, like straight up Enter the Dragon style. Yeah, Enter the Dragon, man. I mean, come on, dude. Can you can you get any more Bruce Lee? Oh, dude, that's gangster as <laughs> shit, man. Holy crap. Yeah, I'm here for it. I am too. I'm all I'm about it. I guess Ferguson's gonna fight Gagey. Yeah. I was listening to Shab talk about this the other day. It was like, you know what? He's like, you know. UFC still, they as big as they are, they still operate cowboy style. Cowboys and Indians like, okay, cool. We can't do this. We're going to find a way. And I know, man. Oh, John Jones failed his drug test. He's still going to fight. He's still going to fight. It's fine. I, yeah. always like, I always like what Rogan talks about. It's like, dude, we just need to have a division to where it's just complete, just roid monsters. Let's just see if how much, how much freak we can put in the cage. Yeah. Well, I know, man. I mean, honestly, because the fact that they have provenly not been able to regulate it, Mm -hmm. I mean, just, it's like, it's not fair. Some people are getting popped for things that are accidental, like a hundred percent. You can't take ibuprofen and shit. So it's supplemental, this, the batch that which the supplement or the drug was, produced in was not the tubs weren't completely cleaned yeah the, yeah the vast that's, that's real you know they've they've proven that time and time again that's a real thing with these supplement companies and you know some of these over-the-counter uh gas station pills that you can buy here and there I was, you, there's no telling what's in them. yeah for sure i got a question for you what's up what do you think is easier <clears throat> or since you've done both just as long as I've done both gi and no gi, do you think it's easier to go from training the gi all the time to no gi or training the no gi all the time to gi? Because Ooh. over time I've, I've only I've changed my mind a couple of times on this. That's the reason why I'm asking. Here's where I'm at. Only through training in the gi have I been able to integrate the two. Correct. That's where I, that's my standpoint now. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I mean, Nogi's obviously super popular nowadays and the more popular jujitsu is, the better I like it. I don't care if it's gear or Nogi, but as far as a personal martial art journey for me, I know that I thought I knew what I was doing when I was just doing Nogi all the time. And I had no clue, dude, zero clue. And then until I started doing Gi and then really focusing on the Gi and then going back and doing some Nogi did I, did I realize the the different ones and one the difference between the two but just how much easier i felt it was for me going from gi to no gi than me trying to go from no gi to gi you know because obviously the gripping game and stuff is 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 uh um different but you know when i had that i had a conversation with Zhao about this many years ago and you know his his um his take on it was really interesting and I thought it was very well thought out is, you know, it's like um, when you're trying to operate a pass or a sweep or whatever in gi, let's just say a pass. If you're trying to operate a pass in gi and somebody can grip you at every single inch of your body, but you're still successful at performing that pass, which means your margins of error to be able to execute that are about that big. So when you take the gi off and they can't grip you anymore, you're still, you're still neurologically operating with a margin of error like this, 
but now you have a gigantic highway to drive through and you just work your way through it. No problem. That's why I think it's an easier transition to go from gi to no gi versus no gi to gi as far as movement. You know, yeah, a lot of people that are no gi <laughs> enthusiasts or started no gi, I feel like talk shit about turning into gi. Oh yeah. Because it's a traditional, it's, a, it's just a traditional modality of training. That's all that is. You know, they want to, they want to shed, they want to buck tradition. The big, the big thing is, you know, that's why you don't see a lot of, you see a lot of the Brazilian guys, you know, they still demand respect on their floor and so on and so forth. That's a very traditional way of, of doing things. And, you know, the big California East coast way is just that whole, Oh, you know, go with the flow. I'm cool. I'm going to do my own thing and create my own pathway, which is fine. You know, I mean, obviously a lot of the no gi guys in the world have done a, an amazing job of doing that, uh, really taking Nogi to the forefront. Well, with the Danaher Death Squad and all those guys, but the one thing that people don't realize is there's a lot of respect there. There's a lot of traditional, you know, yes sir, no sir kind of things, listening to what you're being taught, so on and so forth. This isn't just, hey, look what I come up with and I'm now successful with it. No, it takes more than just you to become successful with a technique. Yeah. I agree. You're right. I think they, uh, Is that me? you still there, bro. Yeah. yeah. What happened? Hang on. I lost you. Oh, here we go. Um, sorry about that. No, you're good, dude. Um, the crazy thing is, is, um, um, I think you're right. You know, a lot of the no-gi guys like to talk shit about training in the gi, but I feel it's super important. I feel, I feel movement wise, you know, it's a very, now here's, here's the other, here's the difference. Now to be able to pull off a lot of the leg lock game and the no-gi game and to be able to execute it correctly, you have to have those margins of, um, of no-gi, you know, like with ankle locks, you know, you don't have the pants there, uh, the leg entanglement there it's a lot more it's a lot more slick there's more turning and moving you know so you, your tolerances have to be tighter on that end of things i just i hate too how and i mean you and i have talked about this but, but how stereotypically most um jujitsu guys don't train leg locks in the gi at all i started training leg locks in the gi a couple of years ago and I, only could i ever notice what you just said by doing both like so i just train all submissions gi and no gi that's a, a another change i made the only reason why i don't do that it's not that i agree or disagree with that uh, i've seen too many people get hurt with heel hooks playing with it in the um in the gi now and the only reason why i play all leg locks uh with my guys that are of the belt level um you know if i you know like when jason ryan for example he's purple belt at the time we would roll all the time. Yeah. We're going to play, we're going to play all, you know, knee bars and everything else. Okay. But not everybody is exposed to that, whether that's good or bad. Um, but the thing that I don't do is heel hooks and the gi. And, and the only reason why is this is because of the leg entanglement, uh, the, the gi pants material grip the leg and the knee harder. And so it's, the, when you put that torque on the heel hook, let's say you're not even really going after it. You're just like, oh, you know, catch and release, whatever. When you, when you, when you go and do that, let's say I've been playing uh, heel hooks and nogi a lot. 
the tolerance is, is further. And so with the gi on, because the, the material tightens it down, because like the analogy that I use to some of the guys that try to argue with me, I was like, dude, I, it's fine if you want to do this. The, the one thing that it's like, if you grab a jar of pickles out of the refrigerator and try to open the lid and you can't open it with your bare hands, what do you do? You put a rag on it, then you can open it. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with when you have gi pants on and you're doing knee bar or doing a heel hooks. No, so, that's, I've never heard it explained that way, dude. That makes some sense actually. And that's the only reason why I don't play with them is because, because of the gi material, it literally, it literally between my gi pants and your gi pants, it, conform it tightens up and takes up so much of that space that if i'm used to taking you know if i'm used to taking the heel hook you know 10 degree whatever degree of torque you put on it even playing catch and release it's going to have to be less with gi pants because the space has been taken up and the tightness is already there so the knee is already bound you know that's my only argument with that you know i you know people all the time well you don't do heel hooks and well no i i don't and it's not because IBJJF doesn't have them where it's legal or illegal. That, that has nothing to do with it. I literally am like the tolerance is smaller as far as margin of error. That's the only reason why. Did you just gain that off of your um, observations or? Yeah. I gained that after my observations and, and just feeling somebody putting me in a heel hook when I had gi pants on versus not having it. And I don't like the pressure because if you think about it like this, you know, if you're looking at the leg as a cylinder, as soon as that, soon as that pant starts to twist at all, what happens to the whole knee bend? If you take your pants from ankle to hip, twist just the pants, your knees, your legs still straight, try to bend, try to touch your heel to your butt, can't, okay? If the pant is completely loose, touch your heel to the butt, you completely can. So that's my only observation is because of the, because of the cloth material, it, it becomes a little bit more of a danger on the knee, not necessarily the ankle at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting. I've never really heard it explained that way. Which that's just my, I mean, that's just my thought. I've never heard anybody talk about it like that, but it's just something that I believe in a little bit, you know, now like me and Jason Ryan, we've played, we've played a uh, knee bar or heel hooks and stuff in gi before. And, you know, I trust him, you know, I know he's not going to, you know, try to rip my stuff off and, things like that. But it's one of those things that, uh, I, with heel hooks, I would really have to trust the guy in the gi. Now, if we're doing no gi, let's go for it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, for me, it has to, it kind of all goes down to that is like trust and education of who you're going yeah. with and, and why, and, and that is one of the reasons why I started like indoctrinating everyone in the, in the heel hook. <clears throat> yeah. I agree with that. I think uh, knee bars and everything else, you know, that has gi or no gi that to me, that's all the same. You know, there's no, the material, the material of the pant or anything doesn't change, you know, probably maybe knee, knee bar a little bit with the rolling escape and trying to clear the knee line a little bit. Uh, that's a little bit more difficult when you have the gi on because of the friction of, of the gi pants, but everything else, you know, toe holds, knee bars, um, esteem locks, all of that stuff's the same. Yeah, man. Um, I got a slick new, uh, calf crusher, uh, that I discovered the other day uh, oh, really? when I was training with McMillan that, uh, I'll have to, it's when somebody's got you in the honey hole. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but it was just a super interesting uh, counter to when somebody's trying to inside heel hook you. Oh, really? So, yeah. I can't wait to play with that. Also, also the other, dis- <clears throat> you know, I've had my black belt two years now, and I discovered, I finally discovered a way that I can hold pistol grip well, <laughs> just like a week ago. Yeah, nice. Yeah. It's completely. Uh, From what position, like playing guard or what? Any position. So, like, look, you know, pistol grip, right? We're sitting here like this. And it's, you know, you're a lot of times, in my opinion, the pinky gets compromised. It's the one that gets stretched first, mm-hmm. right? So the other day I found myself, I, I was kind of right here and I was like, oh, I don't like this. And I tucked my pinky behind. I tucked my pinky behind the gear. And now when I grip it, if you can see that, when I push my pinky forward, when I push my pinky forward, oh, interesting. It, it puts it puts the gi into an S. So now it holds like you know how when you're rappelling and you're in a carabiner and it and it and the rope runs through that S and it has more of a grip than the rope running straight through the hole. So when you're there, I just tuck my pinky behind it and then I squeeze down and I push forward with my pinky. And man, it I was playing it with it with a big John and stuff today. He you know it's it definitely makes a difference now, maybe because nice. I have a shitty grip. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I've never, I mean, I played the pistol grip just a little bit, but for the most part, I do hook grips. Oh, me too. I'm monkey grip all day long. It's hook grip, hook grip all day long. And I've, I've even modified that now to where I no longer move my hand from this position right here. I don't close my hand down. I play hook grip just like this. Yeah. 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 Because I don't a my long hand. hand. Yeah, I don't blow my forearms out because if you, you know, you close that down, your forearm flexes. And if it's like there, it's still, you know, it's still it took nice. me a long time to learn that, man. Me too, dude. Me too. I was just, <clears throat> you know, there's a little bit of callus and you have to callus your, your the strength in the, in everything to where that, that becomes comfortable. But. Well, man, um, so one thing I wanted to chat with you about um, was just like, your approach to we talked about supplementation a little bit earlier but just like uh to a healthier lifestyle like you you have gotten uh much healthier mm-hmm. as i've known much you looking yes yeah much better looking <laughs> age very well but i mean honestly like when you turned 40 it was like you were it wasn't like you had gotten older. It was like you had gotten younger. I remember distinctly thinking that you look different. Like, uh, you know, I mean, you just seem to be enjoying life a lot lately, but I know that like, it's been like a, a, a long 10 year sort of process of like you changing a lot of different things to kind of, uh, uh, reclaim, you know, a healthy lifestyle. Like what, what, uh, what would you say about that process? The catalyst, unfortunately, for a big portion of that was when my mom passed away. You know, she passed away at 58. Uh, It was a big wake-up call for me. I was still, I was still probably floating around 260 pounds then. And uh, I what's what's the most you ever weighed? Right at 300. Yeah, and you and what's the lowest you've competed at? Lowest I've when I did worlds in 2017. Uh, I wasn't depriving myself of anything and I stepped on the scale. I was probably with my gi and everything on. I think I was 220, 
Uh, so I was walking around 216. Um, so that wasn't no big deal. Uh, right now I'm 228, 229, something like that. Nice. I'm not, you know, I'm a little heavier right this second. I'm not in the greatest shape, but um, I'm not in bad shape either. Um, my body tends to float in that anywhere from 237 to 227 range. And then when I'm really watching everything that I do, I, I tend to hum around 222, 221, somewhere in there. Um <clears throat> Biggest catalyst for that was when my mom passed away. I've been playing with trying to get in better shape and so on and so forth. The biggest secret is, man, you can work out as much as you want. Uh, the the thing that makes the difference in the world is eating, you know, nutrition to any fashion or form. When I'd, I'd lost originally like 40 pounds by just increasing my workouts, you know, one thing. Okay, so here's here's an example. Um, at one point in time, I read a study or looked at a study of what happens when you drink, uh, carbonated soda all the time and how bad it is on your body. You know, it really it destroys your gut biome and so on and so forth. And so I was like, Oh, I'm just going to quit drinking soda. And dude, I, I lost like 15 pounds doing that. And when I lost 15 pounds and it, you know, cause I'm talking about being 300 pounds, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you know, you know, I'm one eighty, I'm two eighty five now. So, all right. And then we just added to that and added to that and added to that. A big, a big break for me was when keto became super popular there for just a little bit. Um, I, that's what helped me drop from two fifty two to like two twenty eight. You know, um, that was a big, that was a big thing to get me over that hurdle. Uh, the thing that I do now that I think makes me feel the best. I move the best. Um, you know, I'm, I'll be 44 here in this week, but I still feel like uh, physically I'm fairly fast for somebody that's over 225 pounds. Uh, I don't feel like I'm the strongest guy by any means, but you know, I'm, I'm strong enough. And the thing that I do as far as my jujitsu is I'm, I'm fairly fast and mobile. I kind of play a small man's game a little bit instead of necessarily a big guy's game. Um, so, but to have those energy expenditures to be able to move and explode and so on and so forth, you have to feel good. And to feel good for me is intermittent fasting is just really, really, um, been solid for me. You know, you can intermittent fast dirty, which basically is like, you know, your eating window is only seven hours or whatever, but you eat whatever the hell you want calorically, or you can intermittent fast clean. And I can tell you from doing both intermittent fasting clean, you feel better than you do intermittent fasting dirty. <clears throat> yeah, for you know, sure. like in the bodybuilding world, you can bulk dirty or you can bulk clean and you're going to look better, feel better and, and perform better if you're bulking clean versus sitting around eating an entire package of Oreos every meal and so on and so forth. You know, same way with jujitsu, same way with any type of, getting better with health some of it is some of it is stripping your ego away too man um when it comes to eating you really have to be like man i feel like shit why do i feel like shit uh yeah for real if you're if you're using my fitness pal and writing down what you're eating if you'll go back and look you're like oh here's the reason why if you really get you know strip your ego away get scientific about the data it uh 
it tends to make a difference. I, and that's one of the same things that I do with jujitsu, you know, strip your ego away. Uh, why isn't this working? Well, maybe it's not meant to work. You're not doing it right. Find the reasons why. If that's not working, take that out, you know, do something different. Same way with eating. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know another, another thing, you know, you have a very good support system at home. I have a very good support system at home. That's big when it comes to feeling good, both mentally, physically, spiritually, you know, all of those things, you have to have a support system to do it. You know, you can't, uh, you can't do things like that without having, um, you know, support behind you. You know, if you, it's no different than, you know, you hear stories all the time about, you know, this, this couple or, or these brothers or whatever, you know, one person smokes, one wants to quit smoking, but until both of them do it, you're not going to be successful. It's the same thing with eating, exercising, anything else. You, it can't, um, you got to have a good support system to be able to be successful. That is so true, man. Um, encouragement, support, reminders, because mm -hmm. it's not, it's not easy. I mean, that's been with me coming up with a bunch of new routines and yeah. uh, getting up earlier, exercising in the mornings before I go to work. Um, Cause man, I'm busy and it's so easy to just not do things that you should be doing and to go through a drive through or to easy eat yeah. conveniently instead of healthy. Yeah, it's absolutely easy, dude. That's the, that's the thing is, uh, <clears throat> is planning too, you know, planning, you know, part of your planning is stripping the ego out. I can tell you one thing, like, I don't know about you guys, but I've been killing these quarantine meals, bro. I mean, I'm talking just <laughs> fabulous, fabulous food. And, and, you know, Allie was talking the other day. She's like, she's like, being quarantined is not bad at all. I'm stuck here with my best friend and we're making amazing food. And we're yeah, I mean, Cora's really not having a horrible time either. And yeah, I'm not it's either. It's, it's nice, man. I mean, like, look at what we're doing, dude. I yeah mean, talking to like you're on the podcast for the first time yeah that's right on the pod but it's something that i've been meaning to do for a while and just haven't been well, able to do it this is it man now mm -hmm. we can we can do this anytime like this was the and i've got a couple of things i'm working on to where like i'm probably going to be doing a lot more of this kind of podcast mm -hmm. to get outside of the region because there's a lot of historians and jiu-jitsu guys and and girls and just whole bunch of people i could podcast with but i'll probably never get them to sit down in the studio with me in rustville arkansas oh no that's real difficult that's real difficult but the format's a little different now thank god yeah yeah so well in the new studio uh i'm kind of set up with doing a lot more of this in mind so so you any other question you want to touch on uh well dude um you know i would just say this like and it maybe maybe you can't even give insight into it it's always weird when people ask you questions about I, I was talking to somebody about this like when somebody's like hey you know you did all this how'd you do that it's kind of it's kind of weird to uh answer questions like that or to but like you just uh in your jujitsu have a very creative approach like you've you've uh you have coached world champions. Um, you have kind of innovated this idea of a drill chart. Um, you were a coach first and then you became a, a successful competitor in like, I mean, man, like what is behind all that? Like, how are you able, um, 
what what is behind like what makes you so creative like what makes this work for you so <clears throat> creative some of creative comes out of being passionate about something you know really wanting really wanting to explore and go down the road uh with something so when you're passionate you have to you have to care you know um so i feel like a part of my creativeness comes because i'm excited about something it's like oh did it i see this but also being creative comes out of necessity you know we talked about this before um you know in Arkansas, a lot of times, you know, unfortunately for me, I've not been able to be on the floor with a high-level black belt all the time. You know, I've got, you know, I've got people that have been come through my doors and I've had different influences here and there, but I've never been able to sit there day-to-day and train underneath a coach that says, no, Mike, put your hand here, not there. You know, that, that's just not been my reality, right? So some of my necessity is, well, okay, well, I'm going to have to do through trial and error, figure out what works and what doesn't and become creative in ways to make it work for me, ask creative questions, so on and so forth. But some of that, I got to thinking about this and a big part of that is stripping the ego away again. You know, it's like, I'm not so prideful to say, oh, my arm bar is the best arm bar. Let me show you how. It's like, dude, if you got a better arm bar, oh, that's cool, man. Show me that, bro. Um, I think the same way, man. I mean, and it's like you were saying earlier, you got to kind of put the ego away on some of that. But that's been one thing. The longer I've been with it, the more I'm like, well, show me your way. Yeah. The one thing that I've learned over paying attention to what's happening in in the jujitsu world, I think I've been uh, blessed in the fact that, I mean, me and you've sat down many times and exchanged jujitsu resources before it was popular to exchange jujitsu resources. Uh, you know, watching rolled up videos, whatever we could find. You told me about rolled up, bro. Yeah. And if you think about rolled up, it had nothing to do with technique. It was the, it was the philosophy of learning. Yeah. And the culture too. Yeah. The culture. Like you, you turned me on to jujitsu culture. Like yeah. I, I remarked several times to people over the years about like choke being like a turning point for me in my oh. mind. But it was really because it was like the first time I went to Worlds, too. It's like I realized both times in those instances that I was a part of a bigger thing yeah. than myself, than my gym, than Arkansas. I, it, was a, it was a much larger idea at work. And until you stand in the pyramid and we're like seeing all those people or until yeah. I saw what Hicks and Gracie was doing in the 90s and then was like, oh, I'm doing this now. Imagine what it's evolved to. And Correct. It's it's fascinating. The one thing that I can say about jujitsu, you know, it's constantly evolving. It's 2020. You know, people's been watching YouTube videos on jujitsu for as long as I can remember now. And it's still not stopped evolving. You know, that's, and that's the cool thing. So saying that when it came to jujitsu and being creative and everything else, um, that's the one thing that I figured out in life. You know, I used to be into this thing and that thing, racing, building cars, whatever it is. A lot of that came down to you were only as good as how big your pocketbook was. And with jujitsu, it's one of the few things I don't care. You can be a billionaire and you're not going to be successful at jujitsu without putting in work and not only just putting in work, having to think about what you're doing, structure, plan, so on and so forth. I mean, I mean, 
you know, some people talk about it. It's the equivalent of getting your doctorate as far as the time that you have to put in. And I believe that, you know, it's, um, it is very much so uh, the PhD of the martial arts. For sure. Absolutely. Um, and, but it was one of those, it was one of those things that as a person that grew up a lot of his life with not a bunch of money or anything like that, it was something that was attainable through hard work and achievement. I'm like, Oh, I can attain that. I just have to, you know, I have to, you know, you not chase it blindly because you know, as well as I do that, that doesn't work either. You know, you have to, you have to step back and, Oh, and that's where the creative side came up. It's like, Oh, this is not working. I'm getting my ass handed to me. What can I do different? You know, for me that, that my creative side of things was a necessity because I didn't have, I didn't have a coach at hand to be like, you know, the all seeing, all knowing master on the hills, like, Oh, Hey, what am I doing wrong? Oh, this. Okay. Thank you. You know, I, I had to learn the answers instead of being given the answers. And the way you do that is being a little creative. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong with, with the, what, what we've done, me and you, it's always been a collective education. You learn something, I learn something we share and so on and so forth. And that's been a blessing. I would not change my, my path to where I'm at at all, you know, with, with Dring or any of that, you know, I've not got to spend that much time with him. That doesn't mean anything. He's always given me sound advice when it comes to Jiu-Jitsu over the years, and I'm super appreciative of it. Um, Caleb and everything else, you know, I've had, you know, I've had a good friend and business partner right there beside, you know, it's like, hey, this isn't working. And we, you know, we've always had that real honest relationship when it comes to just like dude it's not working because of this maybe you know i mean it's like shit i don't know so you know that becomes where the uh the creative side of it and that's how that drill chart was born that drill chart was born because i kind of heard if you started going back to research and jiu-jitsu watching people compete you know, I was, I wanted my guys to get better at competing because they were passionate about it. I wanted to be able to be a coach for them to do that. Well, I had to look into the world and see what was working. You know, um, you know, Bernardo Faria was doing this and, you know, Andre Gavo was doing that. And you just go down the list, uh, Lucas Leitch, whatever they were doing these. But if you got to really looking at their game, they were only doing about 10 things. We talked about that the other day with uh, Hodger Gracie. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you talked about it with Hodger. You know, they're really only doing 10 things. I mean, Hodger made it a point that one year to full mount everybody and cross-choke them, whether it was in his division or the open division. He didn't care. He cross-choked everybody from full mount, no other position, passed up submissions because it's, that was a goal of his, and he attained it. Nobody could stop him doing it. Everybody knew it was coming. It still happened. Just like when, you know, Rafael Lovato Jr. gets yeah. in full map, do you think that you're not going to get cross-choked? You're Dude, st- we were there. You remember that? We, were, we watched it. We were in there. I remember being at Worlds and watching Bernardo Faria little hand somebody from side control, and I think it was either you sitting beside me or something, and I'm like, he's fixing to step over to full map triangle because that's what he does. If he, if he little hands your far hand, He's going to step over that head and he's going to form out triangle and choke you unconscious. Why? Why is that? Because on the competitive side of things, on, and especially with that competitive drill chart, you have to do something, you know, a thousand times before it becomes, before it becomes 
you start develop, developing the neural pathways of it becoming an automatic response to a situation. You know, once something becomes an automatic response, you shorten the response window down. Okay. He passes my guard. I do this because I've done this a thousand times. Not he passes my guard. I'm going to stop and think, all right, I know this regard technique. I know that I need to place my hand. It's already too late. When you're competing, when you're competing, the windows of opportunity are so small that you have to be able to react. And, you know, everybody talks about reactionary jujitsu versus thinking jujitsu. Well, if you plan out reactionary jujitsu, then it is thought out jujitsu. But if you're just flopping around and trying to create the scramble and so on and so forth, that's, that's, that's truly reactionary. But well, how do you create the plan? Well, you have to have some type of written structure. So that's where that drill chart came down towards A's and B's. You have an answer, a one and a two from each situation. And if you drill that a hundred times, I promise you, one thing's going to happen. That's going to become your automated response. Maybe that's not your best answer though, but that's the only answer you got at the time. And when you learn something better, you like, let's take closed guard, for example. You know, for me, it's a pendulum sweep. And it's a scissor sweep. That's my one and two sweep. I do not do the UPA very well. I've never done the UPA very well. My body doesn't like it. Get my fat butt off the floor. I don't know what it is. But <clears throat> I do do the pendulum sweep very well. And I do do a couple other sweeps very well. Those, those are the two sweeps I worked on with Jack the other day, pendulum and scissor. Yeah. So, um, but let's say over time, all of a sudden, you know, my ability, my hip movement and stuff changes to where the UPA from closed guard is a better sweep. So I will replace one of the two. So, and it really started simplifying when you, and to bring all this back is when you look at competing at the highest level, these guys do a certain thing and they have a plan to do it. And the reason why they have a plan to do it is they, because they've drilled it. And if you put it, if you write it out on paper, because to me, it's not just a competition drill chart. You know, I think that you need to write, write out flow charts. Flow charts are important. Um, I think flow charts are one of those things when you're in a scramble and if you've drilled a flow chart a lot, you have a lot of anchor points within your game that you can get back to and now you, need, now you know what direction to go. Um, same way with drill charts. You know, the guy passes your guard. If you've drilled what's fixing to happen next, you know what to do. It became, I mean, it was kind of a stupid, simple way of structuring what needed to go on. And then, I mean, you know, as well as I do, a lot of times you come to practice and it's just, if it's just competitors, um, it, it's like, oh, let's do this, this and roll, right? But if you have a drill chart, then you have a structured way of what practice needs to be like. But also with the drill chart, I learned something else as far as a coach and coaching people that competed at a high level is, yeah, me and you, we do a scissor and a pendulum very well. But maybe this guy over here, he does this and this very well. Well, why should I make him conform to what I do very well? As a coach with higher level competitors, you have to take what they do and make that better. If they have a good, if they have a good far side arm bar from side control, you need to make that good arm bar the most amazing, unstoppable arm bar ever. The way you do that is you strip your ego away. 
you make them better as a competitor by really paying attention to the detail and trying to fix it and then trial and error, then trying to fix it, then trial and error, and then trying to fix it. Um, I can remember we, we all went as a team and competed one year, and that was the year that um, De La Hiva was big into the Barambolo back take. We didn't have an end, you know, because at the time, all of Bar at that time, all of Barambolo started from the De La Hiva guard. We didn't have an answer for stopping the De La Hiva. How do we stop it? How do we pass? So when we came back from Worlds or Pans that year, whichever one it was, all we drilled was how to stop it. Uh, and everybody's body type's a little different. They had to drill a couple of different things with it. You know, it's taking that non-egotistical approach to competitors as a coach and so on and so forth because I don't know a coach out there as far as jujitsu goes, that's like, this is my way of doing it. And you will all do it this way and be successful at it. That's not true. As a yeah. coach, you have to strip your ego away and really look at, you know, everybody should have a, a like, you know, I feel like Inferno, it, as far as like my guys that I teach, they all have a good fundamental foundation of half guard, you know, cause I'm a, I'm kind of a half guard guy but everybody's a little different. So then I have to take that student and they have a good fundamental of this, but I have to take what they do and make it better. Did half trying to half guard with you is like one of my earliest memories. Yeah. No kidding. We were like, cool. Look at this. Hey, Hey, yeah. you know, one of my most viewed videos on our YouTube is the P lock pass. Son. Mm. It's real dude. That P lock still works still today. It does, man. I use it. The more people try and lock you down with the lockdown from half guard on bottom, if you get in a habit of P-locking, the more it's well, weird. that kind of, they 10th planet, you know, we've been doing the 10th planet warmups and a lot of what you're saying is just cause those are chained drills, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but there's one of them on the E series. There's a lot of quarter and half guard on their E series. And, uh, on one of them, you do like an electric chair, but mm -hmm. you do that cradle style pass coming off of that lockdown. Uh, and man, I just love that pathway. Yeah. Same. I was just actually talking to one of my guys. He's in quarantine. We were talking about the other day. He's a big lockdown uh, electric chair guy. And I was, I was giving him crap because I was like, I can't wait to get you back in the gym so I can figure out how to pass your electric chair. <laughs> Man, um, I did pick up a new little detail on finishing uh, people with the electric chair as a submission. Yeah, he's real good at that, dude. I don't like it. I, luckily for a big guy, I'm kind of flexible. <clears throat> so it doesn't bother me as bad, but I definitely don't like it. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. We'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, right on, bro. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up, man. I really appreciate you sitting down with me. For everybody that doesn't know, you came up with the idea for the name of the podcast and my gym both. <laughs> I tend to be an idea guy sometimes. Yeah, and we were both in each other's weddings. So that's um, true. A little bit about, uh, I don't think that uh, for people that don't know you, I don't think I did a formal introduction at the beginning. But uh, man, thanks so much. I'm so glad I got to finally uh, do a podcast with you, bro. Yeah, brother, man. We will, uh, we'll, We'll hash out a couple of more questions later on down the road. We'll do it again. For sure. This won't be the first. <laughs> first of many. Exactly. All right, man. All right. I'll see you, bro. Have a good day. You too.